and welcome to Talking Property with CBRE, a podcast where you hear the latest from industry-leading experts on trends shaping the property industry. My name is Ingrid Massey. I'm CBRE's Director of Talent, Learning and Diversity in the Pacific, and I'm your host for today's episode. Today, we're talking diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how both companies and individuals can challenge and shift their paradigms to create a more diverse and inclusive culture for their employees. I'm joined by my colleague, Stephen Moses. Stephen is a Director of Business Operations in our property management team, and he's based in Melbourne, Victoria, and also joined by Jackie Linton. Jackie is our founder and president of JLHR Solutions. Stephen has worked in the property and facilities management industry for more than 20 years, building on a rich technical and leadership experience gained in manufacturing, electromechanical maintenance, and, and this is my favourite part, he has been in the United States Navy's nuclear power program. Jackie joins us from Philadelphia in the United States with more than 20 years of executive leadership experience. She is the founder and president of JLHR Solutions, a full-service HR consulting firm, president of the Philadelphia's regional chapter of the Society of Human Resources Management, and most importantly for this podcast today, she is Stephen's mum. Thanks for joining us, Stephen and Jackie. It's lovely to have you both here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Ingrid. I appreciate the invitation. So shall we get into it? Stephen, first question for you, I think. We'll start with the sun. Your entry, many would say, into the property industry could be considered non-traditional. So you left home at the early age of 18 to join the U.S. Navy where you joined the nuclear power program, which at the time was probably considered the most difficult of all the programs in the military. And this experience would have taken you around the world, many of the places where your friends had never even dreamt of going. So can you share with us, just to start us off, a little bit about your background, maybe touching on when you first felt different to the others and how this broadened your perspective of the world? Absolutely. Thanks, Ingrid. Um, So I think that experience of feeling different is not a unique experience for a child and certainly not unique for a child of color growing up in the South. But for me, it really sort of came home how different I was whenever we, we moved to Georgia, which is about as Southern as you could get. And I was assessed by my new school and they made the decision for me to take my maths and my English classes with, um, with the sixth graders at the time I was in the fifth grade. So that obviously makes you stand out as someone who's different by default. You're a lightning rod for every bully in the school who, who wants to make a name for themselves. And it gave me a really good opportunity to look around at my peers and see how they felt or, or how they approached education and knowledge. And, and I knew straight away that we were worlds apart. And so it was really that piece about education and knowledge that was the first really massive differentiator I felt between myself and my peers. But I had the advantage of, of having grown up with my mom as, as the strongest influence in my life and, and really making sure that we understood that there was nothing that was out of range for us. You know, we, we just needed to think broadly about what we wanted to do and to go and do it. 
so I think that perspective served me well, especially in the face of many other experiences where I did feel different. I never was afraid to back myself in those experiences. And, and I think because of that, I've, I've had the advantage of being able to take hold of a lot of those opportunities that have come my way. Mm. And certainly in the workplace, Stephen, you've never been afraid to back yourself. So uh, kudos to Jackie there and yourself, of course. So how have these personal experiences influenced your career in the property industry? Great question. Uh, So, you know, starting out in the Navy, obviously the Navy is known for being an environment where people can typically travel or, or, or any military branch for that matter, but especially the Navy. I was in a particular part of the Navy that was travel heavy. I was, I was out at sea a lot. I got to visit a lot of foreign ports. Um, I got to experience a lot of different people and cultures. And, and it really opened my mind. And it, it really drove home to me what I think is um, the most important thing that I could have learned, which is that there was so much that I don't know. All the things that we might think of as, as being, you know, written in stone and, and, and fact, and, and, and that's the way it is. We sell ourselves short when we don't challenge those. And I learned pretty early on, especially with that experience in the Navy, that I should continuously challenge what I knew uh, because there was so much more out there and a lot of opportunity could be missed if you, if you fail to do that. Mm, great. Choose to challenge. So, um, Stephen, what advice with all of these experiences would you like to give to people who are taking brave steps to break through biases and challenge their thinking? I think first, you know, they've got to be congratulated for taking that first step to challenge their bias. We've all heard the term unconscious bias. There are things that we, that we might tend to think that we're not even aware of. I think understanding that, first of all, is, is, uh, is an important step. And then really doing some hard self work to, to figure out what those unconscious biases might be and to make sure that they don't seep in and cost you any opportunities when you're making decisions. If you're a hiring manager who is, is, is looking to fill a role, you've got to think outside the box in most cases. You know, we live in a pretty diverse world right now, a, a pretty dynamic world where people are, are, are coming into and out of industries in, in non-traditional ways. And, and they bring skills that may not have 10 years ago been thought to be relevant to that particular industry or that area. Hiring managers have to think more broadly and they, and they have to challenge what they think they know about their industry and about the role and about the people that typically apply for it. And I think for candidates, I think you have to go into any role that you're, um, that you're pursuing knowing that you're as good as any other candidate. You've got to believe that this role is suited for you. You've got to believe that your opportunity is yours to seize. And, and I think if you have that confidence, if you've got that strong self-belief, you're going to set yourself up for, for the best chance of success. Look, and that's a great call, Stephen. I do know that there's a lot of disappointing data over the sort of the last two decades of certainly immersive and conscious bias training for hiring managers, for example, that the dial has not shifted in terms of what you're tracking in diversity stats, gender ratios, for example, in Australia. Often the research is coming through that it is the larger organisations, it's not just the education on the potential biases coming up, but it's putting in diverse recruitment practices, ensuring the ads have 
being checked by various software like Textio, for example, for any um, gender, race bias, um, etc. So it's an inclusive and a welcoming ad. That the interviewed panels are mixed in terms of their diversity and the individual candidate gets multiple experiences and touch points. And we should almost strike a line through that comment We didn't hire them because they're not the right cultural fit. That is a red flag in the world of talent acquisition. What do you mean by that? That affinity bias, that confirmation bias, I hire people like me is something that we absolutely need to stamp out as we move forward to meet our inclusive um, objectives and, and drive a culture of inclusivity. And so my next question I'll direct to you, Jackie. Um, You've had extensive experience in human resources, working multiple executive leadership roles, building your own HR consulting firm from the ground, and now in your role as president of the Philadelphia Chapter of Society for Human Resources Management. I hope I got that right. I'd love to get your perspective on some of the changes and progress that you've seen in the diversity, equity and inclusion space throughout your career? Well, that's a very big question. Um, My career has been extensive in terms of numbers of years, and a lot has changed during that period. You know, I actually started my career as an industrial engineer. And at the time, there was very few women and very few people of color who were in that field. And so um, it was really easy, as Steve mentioned, to stand out in terms of being different. Um, the expectations always felt higher because there weren't people who had come before who had like set the standard for what to expect. At the time, I felt like I always had to work harder, be better, um, do more because of that. And um, I've often thought how much of that was because I was a woman and how much of it was because I was black. And it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. The experience is what was um, most palatable for me at the time. So fast forward, once I got into HR, I really began to be much more thoughtful about the causes and and, um, the implications of some of the things I had experienced as an engineer. And I can, in broad strokes, say that um, the changes that I have seen have um, evolved from having a more affirmative action approach where people were focused on the numbers and hiring a quota of people who were different to moving more to a diversity perspective where people really tried to understand the benefit of bringing people into the conversation who were different to the inclusion perspective which is not just having them there, but really engaging them and the thoughtful differences that they bring, moving into equity, which is really making sure that we can take advantage of the differences that people bring in a fair and equitable way. So there's been a lot of changes over the course of my career um, that I've seen and And if you were to stand in this place and look back, we've made a lot of progress. But if you stand in this um, same place and look forward, we still have a long way to go. 
Hmm. And I can't believe um, we're still having the conversation about gender, for example, 20 years on. And Jackie, I like your point around quotas and data and, and pushing to a kind of a compliance lens on this diversity, equity, inclusion space. At CBRE, we like to think of it as a maturity curve. And we feel, fortunately, that we've moved past that that kind of the entry level of this space, which is, is it a legal thing to do? Do we have to do it for reporting purposes, etc.? Then we move up to it's the right thing to do. And we acknowledge that many of our executives are in this space. Um, and, and this is reflective, I'd say, of broader Australia, that DE&I is the right thing to do. But where we can really get that traction and that game changing is when we move further to it's the smart thing to do, the outcomes of diverse and inclusive workplaces, productivity, earnings per share, etc., innovation. Ultimately, we don't need to overcook it. It is mirroring the client base, the society base within your organisation. And then ultimately at that top stage of that maturity curve, it's the best thing to do. Are we attracting the right talent, those folk who want to be in a progressive best practice organisation? So we are moving, but a long way to go, as you say. So Jackie, what are some of the barriers that you've faced working in this DE&I space and how did you overcome these? So it depends on whether we're talking about personal barriers or barriers in my role as an HR professional. Um, because I think in some instances they're the same, but they're also very different. One of the things that from a personal perspective, I am a diverse person. So I am always a diverse person. So I live that experience all the time. And it's important for me as an HR professional to keep my professional expertise separate from my personal feelings. And so one of the challenges is to not get caught up in the emotion of DEI and really, as you said, I'm thinking about not only what is the right thing to do, but what is the best thing to do. And um, my experience as an engineer, I think, really helped me with that. It really taught me how to think about things very logically, and it made it much easier not to get caught up in the emotion of it. Because when you are living the emotion, you know, that's that's a good place to start or it's a, a, a typical place to start. So I would consider that to be one of the challenges. And I have learned over the course of my career how to manage that and adapt and keep those two things separate. I really pride myself on the fact that I can look at a situation and really be able to identify both sides of the, the equation and try to help people come to um, a good place in the middle. You know, one of the things that I've discovered about this work is that most people are really good people and they want to do a really good job. It's often the reason why they don't is because um, they either don't know how or they don't know what a good job looks like. So as an HR professional, I see that as a really good space for me to add value and to contribute, to be that place where I can help them to see how they can add value in this space. And that's with DEI as well as other HR processes as well. 
Well, Jackie, that skill to put yourself in the other person's shoes is a lifelong pursuit for many of us. So well done for achieving that one. And I guess off the back of that question, have you, Jackie, observed any challenges facing the managers, particularly today around inclusivity? Uh, We've got a lot of hybrid um, workplaces, so we have our people working in the office, half the team at home, um, maybe someone at the coffee shop. Have you um, seen any challenges around that? Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest challenge is the mindset. Just to step away from that a, a bit, when the pandemic hit in the U.S. and one day everyone was going to the office, you know, business as usual, and the next day the majority of the company was working from home, it was like an instant change in how everyone operated. And before this happened, typically the mindset was that you needed to have people in the office so you could see what they were doing so that you could manage them and jobs just could not be performed effectively if people were working from home. That paradigm changed almost instantly when the pandemic hit. And I think that's kind of what it is, what's happening with um, DEI. Though it isn't an instant change, it is an evolution where people at one point in time used to think about who was the right person to be involved. They had to have a certain kind of pedigree or a certain kind of background or set of experiences in order to be able to add value. And I believe that over time, people are coming to the realization when they experience it, that there are people who can add lots of value just because of their differences. And so back to your question, I think the biggest challenge for managers is to manage their paradigm around who can add value and who doesn't. You know, um, in the U.S., companies are in different places around this. Some of them really take this to heart. They really seek out different opinions from people who have had different experiences While others, they're, I don't want to say stuck, but they are more inclined to think business as usual. I want to deal with the people I have always dealt with. And so it's much more difficult for them to be able to allow new ideas, new ways of thinking about things to come in. But it shows up in lots of different ways. In the U.S., One of the biggest changes um, that's related to diversity is around younger people coming into the workforce. And, you know, more and more young people are coming in. And now the, the majority of the folks who are working are probably under 35 or under 40. These people think about things differently. And we call them millennials and lots of people who are in my age group will say, oh, these millennials are like this and they're like that and they want this and they want that. And there must be something wrong with them. But if you were to just stop and think about the experiences that they've had and the ideas that they can bring and the wonderful things that that they can do that are so different from us. And it's not whether it's good or bad. The difference is what's so important. So. The challenge, I think, for leaders is to be able to open their minds enough to think about those things and to be able to really embrace them and get the value from it. In this hybrid workplace now, it's even more important because you can't see people. You can't look them in the eye. You know, Zoom is a is a poor 
example of being able to do that. So it, it's even more important for you to be as a leader to really be open to those ideas that, that people bring to the table who are different from you. Thank you, Jackie. I, I would concur that it's similar challenges faced in Australia. I guess um, from the property lens, um, there is so much opportunity in the DE&I space, certainly for those with disabilities, for example. Um, traditionally, if we were in an agent or a client-facing role, there was requirements to be socialising out of hours, and sometimes that has um, opened up opportunities for those in carer roles to be able to connect further with clients. So there, there are many positives, and I feel that... Um, of all the, the negatives that have come with COVID, we as HR professionals and, and business leaders should be looking to propel our DEI objectives um, 10 years down the road and not slip back once those vaccines come in. I think as well from a, a sort of a lens of, of learning and leadership, you touched on that, the different generations. Um, when our folk, our younger folk do come into the office, how can we craft those experiences generally? And, and uh, we are using the, uh, the generalisations here um, that often the socialisation for the younger folk has been through technology, using chat functions, Slack, whatever is appropriate in your business, and um, to help these people have the conversation, set up structured networking and giving kind of areas of time and places to socialise and taking people out to lunch or a site visit or whatever is appropriate and helping often those who are less familiar at the other end of those generations um, with technology uh, who just want to pick up the phone, helping them use their collaborative tools such as Microsoft Teams and sharing documents, etc. So um, fantastic, Jackie. If we have a little look at your own experiences in this DE&I space, how have you instilled these values in your own son? Well, he's probably um, in a better position to talk about that than I am, but I can say what I tried to do. <laughs> I really tried to teach my children that they could do anything and that um, they should not be confined into a box that someone else creates for them. I tried to do that in my, as I modeled that for myself, um, the way I um, started my career, changed my career. And I really tried to, to support them when they were growing up in a way that allowed that to happen. When Steve left to go into the service, that would not have been my first choice for him at the time. But I was thinking outside the box, Mom, which is what you taught me. So, <laughs> and, and I could not, in all honesty, I could not step now say, no, you can't do that, because that would have really been inconsistent with everything I tried to teach him. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing that I tried to do is to, to instill in them that they could do anything. And it, all they had to do is want it badly enough, and I would support them in it. Wonderful. So question for you as we draw to a close, um, Stephen. Diversity, equity and inclusion is often regarded as one and the same with a heavy focus on that diversity element. So what are some practical ways that companies can encourage inclusivity in their culture and build an ecosystem of DE&I versus just that back to the legal side of things, just ticking the box? 
Look, I think um, when we talk about practical solutions, it, there is a big risk of it sounding like ticking a box. But I think one thing that companies can do is is find out what causes and, and interests and communities their people are involved in and get involved with those as well. So that they're side by side with their people in trying to advance you know, these various aspects. And Jackie, for you, what are some practical ways that companies can encourage inclusivity in their culture? Yeah. So um, I believe that if companies are clear about why they want to embrace diversity and inclusion, it becomes much easier for them to create this ecosystem, if you will. Because what happens a lot of times is companies will latch on to an idea oh, let's go do this. And it's really inconsistent with other parts of the organization. And I believe that companies need to have a good foundation built about why they want to be a diverse, inclusive, and equitable company. And it needs to be part of the foundation of how they operate. And then their systems and processes are built on that. Then it's much clearer to employees why they are supporting this cycling team or why they're not supporting another philanthropic adventure. But rather than them just saying, oh, well, supporting the cycling team is a great idea. And there's another um, charity out there that is also important to people that isn't supported. So I believe that that approach is not very helpful or constructive. They really need to have a good foundation of the why first and what it is, why it's important to them, and what they want to achieve. And that becomes part of their values. That becomes part of the foundation in terms of how they operate. They build their systems and processes um, around talent um, with that in mind. And the employees understand it and can relate to it. So that's how I think you, you get people included. And doing that with input from the organization is really, really important. This should not be a top-down only kind of process. It should be a process that people from across the organization get involved in so that you can get input from people who you may not interact with every day. And that's where you really get the benefit of inclusion. Thank you, Jackie. Yes, it is the challenge. It is so important to have that clear communicated strategy because there are so many great ideas, so many things to do that um, with limited resources and time and capacity, you just want to pick one to three things and do them well and get them done and then embed them and move on. So that's, that's great advice. Well, Jackie, Stephen, thank you for being here with us today to share your story and wealth of knowledge on building a diverse and inclusive culture. Thank you so much for having me, Ingrid. And it's just been a pleasure talking to both of you. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for listening to Talking Property with CBRE. And if you like the show and want to check out more, visit cbre.com.au forward slash Talking Property or subscribe through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where you can also leave a review. Until next time.